episode 92 features a great strength coach and community leader, Coach Glenn Rebel. Glenn Coach Rebel is the head strength conditioning coach at Central Catholic High School in San Antonio, Texas. Coach Rev has a bachelor's degree from Hardin-Simmons University and a master's degree from Angelo State University. He was an all-conference and all-region performer, as well as the captain of the HSU football team. Upon graduation, he spent five years playing for various arena football league teams. During graduate school, Revel also won a conference championship with ASU's rugby team and twice qualified for the USA Weightlifting University National Championships. His coaching stops include Angelo State, Eastern Michigan, University of South Florida, West Virginia State, Southwestern University, and East Central ISD. He is a registered strength and conditioning coach and a certified strength conditioning specialist with distinction through the NSCA. Alongside coaching, Glenn is a graduate of Leadership San Antonio Class 44, a member of Leadership SAISD Class of 2022, serves as the president-elect for the Board of Young Associates of Hardin-Simmons University, and co-hosts the GCAST, a podcast focused on education, leadership, and coaching. Before we jump into today's episode, remember to follow the show on Twitter at HWC Podcast, share this show or any episode that you find value in, and please remember to rate and review to help grow the show. Check out Texas Treaties for a Dallas area cookie company where the cookies look almost too good to eat. If you're looking for improvements in your menswear game, check out Etiquette Dawn for the best choice and selection and quality. If you need a coffee, check out Viking Coffee Company for the official podcast coffee. If you need a quick and effective way to keep your weight room sanitized, check out Xanago Sprayer. Enjoy today's episode with Coach Glenn Rebel. On today's episode of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast, I am joined by the bearded, swole legend, the red beast himself, head strength conditioning coach at Central Catholic High School in San Antonio, Texas, Coach Glenn Rebel. Coach, what's happening, man? Good to have you on. Oh, thank you so much, Coach. Man, I was checking out this guest list you got, and it's got some heavy hitters on it, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> no doubt, man. No doubt. You know, I, I had the the privilege uh, to work out last year at, at coaching school uh, at your place. You know, you opened it up, and man, it's a really nice facility. And and you were just sharing some crazy stories um, about you know you guys and and kind of who you guys allow access to to your place is pretty neat. Oh yeah, I mean we got a really our facility's beautiful. It's about two years old. It's all hammer strength stuff, and so yeah, we kind of I guess that was twenty twenty one, right when you were down there. Yeah. So we had obviously it's probably our listeners, your listeners know that was the year the women's final four fiasco went down with the women not really having a equitable or really any kind of a weight room at all for them to use when they hosted the tournament in San Antonio. So I was fortunate enough that. Uh, the NCAA reached out to Hammer Strength, and then Hammer Strength reached out to me, and essentially we got a deal going so those women could have some weights to lift during the Final Four, and it was pretty crazy, man. I got a phone call on Friday. They needed the weights by Saturday, and on Friday afternoon, like three semi-trucks showed up, and we loaded our entire weight room into these semi-trucks. They drove them to the Alamo Dome so the women could have like a good, nice facility to use, and then 
it worked out well for me because I ended up getting some new equipment out of the deal. So it was definitely a definitely a win win situation. No doubt, man. You know, and <clears throat> you know, you don't have the biggest space in terms of square footage, man, but you've got a lot of things packed in there and, and you know, you run it pretty efficiently. Can you talk about kind of, you know, maybe why to me? why your choice was to kind of go with hammer, hammer strength. I don't know if you had any say in that per se, but, um, and then when you were able to kind of get some new things, what were some things that you decided to, to add on, uh, to kind of enhance the room? Yeah, definitely. So went with hammer strength, uh, our head football coach named Mike Santiago, he was actually the individual who started the football program at university of the incarnate word back in 2007 i believe and so that was he used hammer strength to build out that weight room it's still a hammer strength weight room so when he came over to central catholic and had the opportunity to build our facility went ahead and just stayed with those guys because they've done a good job for him in the past and obviously their their equipment is well-known quality stuff and so we have kind of like you said we have the 12 uh 12 12 racks in there half racks with the inlaid uh platforms into the floor so that's really nice it gives it a nice look to it and then we got the dumbbells on one wall. And then our other wall, we have kind of that row of push pull, like the OG seated row machine, like that OG hammer strength equipment that's really durable. Everyone loves. So it was a beautiful space. And this is kind of something I told it's a main selling point for our school. And when I got to the, got to the, got this job full time, I told our athletic director, I was like, look, we have a beautiful weight room and no one's going to deny that. But what we don't have yet is a facility. And what my main thing was to do was to take it from this beautiful visual centerpiece of the school and keep that aesthetic look to it, but also make it very functional. So I just added a really simple, basic things. We put TRXs on all 12 of our racks. Uh, we got some elite FTS power bands. We got some of those bands. Um, I think we got like the Monster Mini, the Light and the Medium. And then we added some medicine balls and some kettlebells. And so when I look at uh, it's like buying things for a facility or trying to get equipment, I want something that I can train every single kid and every single team with. That way it's applicable to any student athlete that walks into that weight room, regardless of the sport they play. And as you know, especially at the high school level, your best athletes are playing all of your sports. So I want to be able to train those kids efficiently year-round regardless of what time of year it is or what sport quote-unquote they're in season with i love it man and that's such a huge deal to talk about is being able to train any kind of athlete in an efficient manner um i think sometimes we kind of get caught up in in some of the kpi stuff and you know what what their vertical might be what their flying 10 might be and how much they bench, how much they clean, how much they squat. Those are all great measurements and, and stuff. But, you know, I, I think at times we do get, we do forget about just the coach's eye and just them being able to be in the room and, and go like, you don't necessarily need VBT or, um, you know, certain, certain measures to just see, that this kid is beat up like you could just they could walk in and be like and just look at it and, and you know or you read the injury report and they bang their their ankle up the day before in a game and you already know coming in like okay i gotta make adjustments for this kid this kid this kid like boom all right i got this you know we got trx instead of 
you know, just general barbell work or whatever. Like, so I, I would assume like for you, that is such a, a, a great tool to have uh, and, and certainly not knocking all of the technical technological stuff like it's great and um i've enjoyed the time that i've had to work with some of it uh but there is a time and a place for all of it yeah definitely yeah kind of like you said we keep it i keep it generally simple um i do have a just jump mat that i keep in the weight room pretty regularly and if i ever need to do any kind of readiness testing i will use it on that and we've got some of the like the uh we've got the dasher system kind of the time out our flying tens etc but yeah for me it's a lot of and i'm very fortunate because the we have roughly so our school is 500 500 kids total about 125 to 150 of them are athletes so it's a small enough group that i can really keep my eyes on most of those kids like day or throughout the week um so a lot of it is yeah having that open communication having a certain group of kids that i know i can go to and when i ask them how are you feeling they're going to give me an honest answer right and i needed to and even when they'd never had a strength coach before and so i had to kind of de- obviously i had to develop that relationship from athlete to coach but also like hey, listen, when I ask you how you're feeling, like I genuinely want to know because it's going to determine decisions I make to train you guys today. Like, if you feel good, let me know. If you feel bad, don't lie to me and tell me you feel fresh because that's not going to help us in the long run. And that's something I try to explain to the kids. They kind of start interacting with me. And obviously our kids that are playing baseball, basketball, swimming, that are especially in the summertime, 18 games a weekend traveling all that kind of stuff when they come in on monday hey how many games did you play this weekend like are you good to go or do we need to take it a little bit slower today we can hit it hard tuesday through thursday that type of deal yeah now with you as the head strength coach are you you're not coaching any other sports are you that's correct yeah so i handle straight conditioning for all of the have uh, we have about 13 sports conditioning time for all those so <clears throat> this is going into year three for you you know it's, it's sometimes it's a little easier as a sport coach to kind of gauge and have this plan as year three you know we want to we should be able to increase x number of wins compete for this you know, spot in district and maybe go this rounds and playoffs, whatnot. As a head strength coach or just a strength coach in general, how do you, what do you gauge that you can, where, where's an area that you see yourself needing to improve on or wanting to improve on uh, as an, as a general thing going into this year compared to years previously? Yeah. I think obviously kind of like your the expectations are kind of laid out by the coaches that you work with or by the athletic director. And luckily I have a really good with all of our head coaches in our and there's not a back and forth as far as like what we're looking for. We do have some specific metrics that I look for. Use that really traditional, like I want you to be able to squat one point weight so I can maximize development. Um, we have some standards like that that we use, and then also look at injury and what how our injury rates are. Strengthening conditioning can affect your injury rates, but it's not going to totally negate them, right? So for our basketball team, 
was always to have like zero ankle injuries, which is tough because sometimes guys come down on an ankle and roll their majority of our guys aren't missing because they roll their ankle in practice and we do a lot of manual assistance ankle stuff same thing with our soccer athletes um some things like that look for and like the sport coach and the other and we sit down and we this is something with the sport coach and with the kids on the team and so i'll just give you an example so we have like a little brief interview five to ten minutes the sport coach and say, what are three things you think your team did well? What are three things you think your team did poorly on the court, on the field, whatever? They lay those out and then I kind of go into, what do you think I can do to improve the factors that will be the three things we talked about? Sometimes there's things in the weight room I can do to improve those and sometimes there's not. And a part of that is like, obviously as strength conditioning professionals are starting to be at the high school level, not only is our job to educate athletes that we work with, the coaches that we spend time with, right? And really give them realistic ideas. Like, here's things we can affect in the weight, and here's things we can't because of all the go into it. So I have that conversation with the coach, and that gives me and the coach the same roadmap, right? Here's where we're trying, and here's improve to get there. And then I think it might not be the entire team, but for sure at least be upcoming team that's who we're going to lean on to kind of drive your program right and so i sit down with those kids and i ask them the same thing i'm like three things you're good at three things you need to improve at what do you think from a strength and conditioning standpoint can improve those and the other thing i ask is <laughs> uh can you take hard not because necessarily like would not be qualified as like hard coaching but kids are going to run into that and there's, there's times when you're going to get a little bit uncomfortable and you have that social situation where me and you have an intense interaction and I'm not upset at you as a person and we need to learn how to have the intense interaction and then get past it and move towards our goal, which is on the sideline of any kind of game. So those are the kind of questions I ask him and I use those to determine my relationship with the sport coach and with the athletes in the individual sports. No, man, I think those conversations are are, are well needed and uh, and great. Um, as you're talking about sitting down with those kids, um, I'm like, man, I need to, I need to do that. And so it's like I'm I'm I feel compelled to go do that with with the seniors at our strength camp, you know, and 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 especially before we go on uh, the July Fourth break, and, and we're recording this episode on. July 28th and, and uh, it'll be released relatively soon, but more than likely we'll be on break anyway before, but, you know, just to sit down and, and, and have that feedback from the kids. Cause at the end of the day, they're the ones that, that have to buy in and do the work to, to get the, the results we all want. Like ultimately they're the consumer of our product in a sense. Um, we just, we know that this, Consumers not always right, uh, but they do need to feel valued in what they are doing um, and, and how they're being treated so as to buy in more so that we can push them harder as we build those relationships. Yeah, definitely. And for me, I've kind of found that shared shared ownership creates that buy-in and you can get better results from kids that feel like, hey, my opinion is valued. And this goes for anyone. 
right? Like if I'm on a football staff and the head coach never comes to any of his assistants and just decides the game, game plan on his own, what am I even here for? You know what I mean? So when you share that responsibility and give people input on the program, then you're going to get more commitment and buy-in because they feel like it's really something they get ownership in. Yeah. As you, you know, you, you, the way in which you, you approach things, kind of, you know, I, I would say it, it's a business-like mentality in the sense of you want to create the buy-in, you want to build those relationships and, and help everybody work towards a common goal, um, but you're also not necessarily trying to do it at the expense of other people, and you're not trying to just sit there and, and you know, stroke your ego and, and, and pump your, yourself up in terms of like, well, well, look what we're all doing. And, you know, um, for lack of a better term, just shit on other people. Um, right. You know? <laughs> so where, what do you kind of attribute that in, in terms of your mindset and what, what's helped you kind of build this mindset um, to where you are now in your career? Yeah, I think a big, a big part of it was, so when I was uh, coming up, started my career as a strength and conditioning coach at the collegiate level. And I did an internship with Ron McKeefery when he was at Eastern Michigan. And it was a really fortunate, fortunate thing for me. Uh, and I had a, I was either, so I was interviewing with him or I was going to go to Old Miss. Paul Jackson was there at the time. And Old Miss had just finished ranked like top 10 in the nation, SEC team, Eastern Michigan, not good. Hadn't won a bowl game in like 30 years. And I decided to go to Eastern Michigan because I felt like, Ron was an individual that I could learn from and would really progress me as a coach. Not that Coach Jackson wouldn't, because he's obviously a very accomplished coach in his own right. But when I got to Eastern, I was very, I was very fortunate because that was the same year Ron was putting out his book, Strength Coach CEO. So we, as his intern class, got to read it before it was sent to the publisher for the final edits, and then he ended up winning the uh, Strength Coach of the Year from the NSCA that next that next. Uh, next winter. And so really Ron uh, did a great job with us of explaining that kind of, if you haven't read CEO strength coach, definitely recommend that you do, but he gave a great job of really giving us like a full summer's worth of here's what I wrote in my book. And now you get to see how I take these principles and apply them to how I interact with my athletes. But he did a great job of also his uh, knowledge of the NCAA rule, rule book was crazy. Like he probably knew the NCAA rule book just as well, if not better than anyone in compliance. And from knowing the extent of what he could and couldn't do, he could really maximize his program going to admin and being like, look, here's what we're allowed to do. Here's what I'm trying to do. This is why I need funding, et cetera, et cetera. And just really at the end of the day, uh, sport and athletics is a business, right? And if we can't convey the value that we as strength coaches add to an athletic department to our higher ups, whether that be your head coaches, your coordinators, or your athletic director, then we're not going to be around very long. So that's kind of where I developed that. Like, obviously, I want to be a I want to be a tactician and very technical about what I do in the weight room, but I also need to learn how to kind of become that manager of my department as a whole and think of it as more than just what we do in the weight room, but everything that goes into give, making that a good space to be in. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's so spot on. And I have not read that book and I need to read that book. I've got a, I got a long list of, I need to read books. Um, 
no a doubt. variety of topics, but uh, you know that one right there might be moved up the list. Um, I know recently you did a presentation. I think what was it uh, back in January or February? And uh, I, I think you had uh, started talking about one thing and just kind of finished that, and then slid over, you know, in the same presentation to this business stuff. And I and I believe you were telling me you got a little bit more feedback in a positive manner that you were d- discussing from a business standpoint um, than uh, than what what else you were presenting. What what do you attribute that to? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the Lake the Lake Belton High School Clinic that happened in January. And yeah, kind of like you said, like I had your basic your X's and O's. And in San, up until recently, I was the only full-time strength and conditioning coach in San Antonio at the high school level. Now there's four of us. Judson ISD has hired three guys, one for each of their high schools and myself. And really, uh, what I kind of noticed was what we talked about is like people, we know as strength and conditioning coaches that we bring value to athletes and to athletic programs. But I think what we could do a better job of is demonstrating and showing the value that we add and so really what i did was and i actually have it kind of pulled up so we can get into it as much as you want to but when i was the first job i had here in san antonio i worked for east central independent school district and it was uh i was in charge of a 6a high school and both middle schools that fed into it so i had roughly a thousand kids 70 coaches six weight rooms on three different campuses that i was directly or indirectly in charge of Gotcha. And as you have kind of progressed in this, where did this kind of, and I know you're talking about your time and and being able to be there at the forefront of of the the book. um, But where else do you kind of think you derive your business kind of mindset um, in terms of uh, your approach to things? You know, are you a, are you an entrepreneur yourself or, or do you have desires for that? Or you just think like, that's just the way I'm wired and uh, you go from there. Um, and the first job I had when I moved to San Antonio, I oversaw an entire school district. So I was in charge of 6A high school and two of its feeder middle schools. So I had a thousand kids, 70 coaches, six weight rooms on three different campuses. And I was considered a non-essential employee by the school district. So yearly, I had to gather my data whether it was uh, injury numbers, financial numbers, income, expenses. I had to take that to our athletic director, so the AD could then present it to the school board at their annual budget meeting to justify myself keeping my job. So that's where I really learned to look at us as coaches, especially as strength coaches, through that kind of business administrative mindset and how we can illustrate the value that we add to athletic programs because we know that we do and people are starting to realize that we do but at that admin level right if you look at it from the highest point of view if i'm the if i'm the athletic director at a massive institution or if i'm the school board president not to like not to cheapen what we do but to them let's take it just from an insurance point of view right like they need to have some kind of coverage having a weight room without a strength coach is like having a swimming pool without a lifeguard. You can do it, but from an insurance standpoint, it's going to be way more expensive. So bottom line, from a financial standpoint, if you have a strength coach in your weight room and an accredited professional, you get a break on 
your liability insurance, which for someone who has no idea what we do, that's what our job comes down to at the district level, right? So then I got the opportunity to come in and show like, hey, since I've been here, I'm just going to kind of give you like some specifics from what I've been through. We had a 67% reduction in total athlete surgeries district-wide. And I'm sure like you guys do, the school district provided insurance for our athletes. So I calculated it out. The year before I got there, we had 36 ACL tears. The first year I was there, we were down to 18. And then the year after that, we were down to 12. And essentially it cost the school district 15 grand per ACL tear per kid. And so in ACL tears alone, I'd already justified my salary, right? Not to mention all of the other, the money we brought in from summer camp, from doing whatever. So that's where I really kind of learned, like, this is how, from a business standpoint, we can provide value if it all just comes down to a, an item line on a budget, strength coaches, we're good to go because we provide value in that way. And then you can kind of dive into, here's what I do with the kids. Here's the mental side of what we do. Here's how they strengthen, not only physically, but emotionally. They're more resilient individuals, et cetera, et cetera. Dude, so first off, the fact that you reduced and saved the district that much money in, in a year, they should have given you a bonus, which... <laughs> We know that that's not the case, but two, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous that we, that, that, that strength coaches would have to, to have that much detail in order to justify their job. And I think that that's the problem um, with, with that is we, we, you, you screw up and you get promoted. You are good at your job. You get more responsibility. And then you have to um, prove your prove as to why. And yet you've got all these other people that probably need to prove as to why they have their job, but because they know somebody who knows somebody, they got a cushy job as well. Um, and, and so I, I feel like, yes, when we talked about it, education is a business and coaching is a business, but at some time, at some point, the people in charge, don't run it like a business and they, and they run it very emotionally charged. And I'm pretty sure if you look at all the major companies and corporations and highly successful people that we, that we all kind of look to, the first thing they'll tell you is don't make decisions with your emotions, right? <laughs> right. Look at, look at it. And, and, and that's, that's fine. You want to look at it from the bottom line standpoint. Bottom line is exactly what you just said. If you have somebody that if you have a weight room and you don't have, you know, certified, highly qualified people, then you need to you need to get somebody in there. You know, and I personally, I've got to work on my uh, I got to work on my CSCS. I should have it already, um, you know, but at least I have USAW um, so I can at least say, well, Hendrickson High School has an Olympic certified weightlifting coach. Um, and you know, I have all the other things that I'm, I'm working on. I have to, you know, I have a sit sat for a CSCS and yes, I failed, but you know, I'm still studying to pass it. Um, but that's not the case with every other sport coach. Right. And I think too many times you think, well, they're a sport coach. They can handle it. I mean, I don't, I don't ever remember that being part of, a 
deal. And most of the time in the clinics that I went to early in my career, it was all X's and O's. I don't remember really hearing much in the way of strength and conditioning unless you went to those specific clinics. And even then, I'd say in the last few years, there's been a greater increase by the THSCA to have a, at least some presence in the S with, with SNC. I, I think some of it is leans heavier towards a third party versus, you know, on campus, but that's neither here nor there. Right. Yeah, no, that is a good point. Um, I actually, my master's degree thesis was on a general certification for sport coaches, right? Because if you kind of look at the industry, who is accredited and regularly tested and documented that they know physiology, anatomy, et cetera, right? It's the athletic trainers and it's strength coaches. And then everyone else is kind of like you said, like, how's your X and O knowledge? How's your, uh, like, who's in your network, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, and I think there are some organizations that you could, soccer, you would like soccer seems to do a pretty good job. They have, like, if you look at the soccer coaching licenses from like A to B, they have a pretty decent like physiological, anatomical process to it. But yeah, I think the more, and that's this is obviously like long term down the road thinking, right? But the more educated coaches are going to be, so just the more the better experience you're going to have, and the safer your athletes are going to be. Like, what is the inner track coaches do a really good job on this, right? Because track coaches and strength coaches are kind of the same, like understand energy systems, all that generally the same stuff. So that's someone I could have a conversation with. Whereas, like, if a base, uh, just an example, like if a baseball coach jumped in, I'd be like, hey, what energy system does the pitcher use? Couldn't tell you. You know what I mean? Not all baseball coaches, but in general. So, yeah, to your point, I think that is true. Like, a little bit more education would never be a bad thing. Um, and that's not to say, like, I don't want it to sound like the organizations that I worked for previously, like, didn't see value in strength coach, because obviously did, like, the administrators, et cetera, saw it, but it's just they had to convey that administration, convey that value to people up the line, which happened to be the school board members. And I get it. Like if you're on the school board, you have so many issues that you're trying to that you're trying to deal with. So I was more than willing to take that challenge of, hey, we need you to kind of justify why you're here. And for me, uh, initially, like my feelings were a little hurt. I was like, I'm a college strength coach. Like I've been at the Division One level, been at four different schools, a professional athlete. But then I kind of, like you said, I was like, let me get over my ego. They really see this as an opportunity to like drill in and show them just how much stuff, uh, not only strength coaches, but all coaches do. You know, like if you were to take, if any coach were to take the job description they got when they were hired and then sit down and like write down everything they actually do, those would be two completely different documents. And so anytime I had a chance to illustrate what that looked like to someone higher up in the organization i wanted to do that so they could really get a grasp on what coaches do and what the job entails oh i love that man that that's that's so cool um and, and so much truth behind all of that and um you know I, I think potentially in years to come I'll, I'll definitely be picking your brain about uh the business side of things um you know i, I, I talk with uh several people at, at the high, at my high school about, you know, if not, you know, I'd love for it to be me and, and, and whatnot, but if not me, at least create this opportunity for somebody like, 
because it's it, it's owed to the kids. You know, we talk about doing things for the kids, and we haven't. We, you know, you touched on the 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 psychological and the emotional components that that training can do strength training can do for a kid um you know we we spent a little bit more time on the um on the financial side and the and the business administrative side but i, I think we all realize and could easily point to what that's what that does um for the psyche of a young young person uh, as they get stronger as they become more confident in their body and as they reduce their their injury rate or, or create um just you know that that opportunity to uh to stay on the field longer right you know at the end of the day your your greatest eligibility is availability and if you're staying in the in the training room too much uh then you know you're you're going to diminish your opportunity to play at the next level or or just play at the current level yeah no doubt uh so i i, I told you or you know before we hit record uh i wanted to, i wanted you to touch in on the um the leadership stuff that you're doing in san antonio man it's really interesting i was just kind of scrolling through it before you joined uh the zoom and uh you know you, currently you're the president elect of the board of young associates uh what what is that and how did you get involved in that and, and kind of how does what you do at the high school level play into that and what you do with that kind of feedback to you at the high, at the high school level at your current job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, board of young associates for Hardin Simmons university, which is where I went, uh, for my undergrad played football there, uh, pretty prestigious football program at the division three level. And, uh, so what we do as, at the BYA is individuals that are 40 years old or younger, um, and we essentially assist the school in uh, new student recruitment, alumni involvement and retention, and then also kind of putting on events to showcase Hardin Simmons as an institution and like not only athletically, but also academically and all the things that it has to offer prospective students, current students and keeping alumni engaged. So since it's a smaller school, it has a, it doesn't have a giant alumni relations office. So they activate and utilize alumni that are willing to get involved to kind of further, like further their calls. And so for me, obviously going, being a college, a lot of the time I spent on campus was either in class or playing football or doing sports. And so I saw a lot of how prestigious the athletic side of the university was. But then as I got further away from my time in Arkansas, I kind of realized, oh man, the school has a really good, it's health science technology program, it's top notch, it's business school, it's really good. And I had a friend here in San Antonio who I was in another leadership program called Leadership San Antonio, which is sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce. She was a Hardin Simmons alumni. So her and I went through this local leadership program together. And she was like, hey, I think you should hop on this board. And really, it's just a way for me to give back to an institution that gave a lot to me as a student when I was Also allows me as a professional to understand how do you operate in a professional setting? How do you operate in your boardroom? If I were at a Fortune 500 company or had a quote unquote, like corporate job, right? From my experience serving on the associates, I could now walk into some kind of meeting in that corporate setting and feel comfortable knowing what to do. Because the coaching that, like the coaching staff meeting is very, has a very different feel 
than a meeting that you step into when it's for a professional organization, right? Whether it's one you volunteer to serve on, whether it's a corporate institution, anything like that. So kind of me learning how to, I know how to navigate the world of athletics, but I wanted to learn how to navigate the professional world a little bit better. So I didn't ever feel out of place. And for me, that comes from, I want to project an image of professionality and what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, like diversity, I guess. I want people to understand coaches can operate in a professional setting as well. And that just reflects better on anyone that's in education. They're like, oh, let's like, can, we can be honest. A lot of, especially recently, like teachers look down on, they're not highly valued. People don't know what our skill set is. So they really don't know how to quantify and qualify what we do. But the more that we as educators, teachers, coaches can walk into professional settings and represent ourselves well and understand how it works, respect, we're going to start to gain from people that are outside of education. And that's only going to further our cause when we're looking to improve our working conditions, the things that our kids need from schools, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So for me, it's really about representing the profession of coaching and education outside of the profession of coaching and education. Dude, that's awesome. And you're absolutely right. You know, unfortunately, teachers have kind of been looked down on, um, especially through the whole virtual learning deal until these parents were thrust into the fire and they realized, oh, wait, right. I can't do this. Um, or those that basically took uh you know what you what the school was giving and then try to pass it off as they were homeschooling no um, (laughs) i've had disagreements with family members like no you didn't homeschool you were the you were basically the substitute teacher you had the information that was given to you from the actual teacher of record all you did was stand over your kid's shoulder to make sure they did it, or you just went ahead and did it for them. You didn't actually <laughs> homeschool. Homeschool yeah. is you going to buy the curriculum and teach it, or you chip in and somebody in the neighborhood is the teacher and you know that you go in that route. Cause I've seen that happen too, but it's like, you know, it, it, but that's awesome. And I love the fact that you, you talked about just trying to be diverse, like, one, we break the stereotype, you know, through through what you're doing of, of being the big dumb jock, because I'm sure people look at you and just think meathead, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know, but but I, I, you, know, you scroll your Twitter, dude, you've got books that you read and it's not just it's not just S&C books. It's not just sport books. You know, it's just it's it's other stuff, um, you know, and and you, you've got a whole lot of different deals. To, the fact that you're active in in this uh, in these, um, organizations is awesome. And the fact that you can speak, you know, so eloquently and succinctly, uh, about these topics is, is awesome. And it just shows the diverse abilities that you have, uh, that I think more coaches and more teachers probably need, uh, to be able to market themselves and sell themselves. Um, so that, you know, if they choose to leave the profession, they can go get a job elsewhere, uh, and know that they have plenty of other skill sets beyond just classroom management and, uh, you know, t- 
teaching content related to state testing. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, if we could, uh, if we could like keep that same energy for like the first four to six weeks of the COVID lockdown, when everyone was like, please, God, we love teachers. If we could just keep that going, that'd be great. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the thing, uh, so there's another, there was another group I was a part of down here. It's called Leadership San Antonio ISD. And so basically that was an education-based leadership program. Um, and I would just say, if you're listening to this, like whatever city you're in, I would just Google like education leadership program in your city name and just figure out if you can get into one. Uh, I did was a really good job of explaining how education works from the legislative and policy standpoint. And that's a really big, that's a lot of, I'll speak for Texas because that's kind of where I'm at and what I kind of understand. And like, that is a lot. That's a lot to try to comprehend for people that aren't in the industry full time, but there are good politicians that are in the Texas legislature that are working to make education better. Um, and it's it's going to take a little bit of time and nothing's going to be perfect right off the bat. But uh, I would recommend you guys follow a guy. His name is Diego Bernal, B-E-R-N-A-L, and he's the chair of the Texas Education reform committee for the texas legislature he's a san antonio guy i've met him a few times and he's kind of the one that's been in charge of the new finance bills the funding he's super personable he will come to your school he will talk to you he will talk to your kids because at the end of the day like if we want to fix or make better the problems that are happening in public education it's going to have to start with what's going on in the state legislature and right now the issue is i don't know if you know this coach i learned this the other day it was mind-boggling so the the highest amount the texas state government has ever funded a student is 74 percent recommended 100 percent that's needed to fund it so the state is like all right i'm just going to throw out a number it's going to cost us ten thousand dollars per student per year to fund this kid's education the closest texas has ever got is giving them seventy four hundred dollars out of that ten thousand so all the things that we're doing as education, we're doing at best on 75% funding. And the key to getting us to that 100% number is what goes on in the legislature. And that looks like you calling your representatives, talking to the people that are on your school board. Uh, I would just say like the biggest thing for me when I first got into education was like, if I saw an administrator or a school board member, I just kind of stayed away because I was like, oh, that's a lot of stuff that I don't understand. And then as I matured as an educator and as someone that was kind of like wanted education to be important, because I think it affects a lot of things for the community, for individuals, and even for us as like a state and a nation, then I realized like, hey, these are individuals and they care about things the same way we do because they're not in education time but they're willing to donate their time and serve on these boards so like get to know those people and share your experiences in the classroom with them so they can understand what's happening to you on a day-to-day -day level because when you share in your classroom and the struggles that you have, as well as the successes they can't take that away from you because that's something that you've had and they don't hear a lot of that a lot of times so the more they know what's going on in your school in your district the more change they're going to be able to enact for you as an educator and for your school and for the kids that we work with so not to get on like a soapbox there but i just felt like that was important for people to kind of know how to how to activate the relationships that they have to improve things for us in general 
Dude, that I had no idea. And but here's what's I, here's what I think is sad. I didn't realize that we weren't operating on that hundred percent. But I'm also not surprised, and I'm not surprised that it's that close. But it also feels that far away. You know what I'm saying? Like to say yeah. we're operating in a 70, 70 to seventy five percent capacity of the hundred percent funding that that each kid should have doesn't surprise me because sadly we deprioritize education we deprioritize school funding and and i'm not knocking private school i'm not knocking homeschooling at the end of the day education is important and how you go about getting that education to each their own but not everybody's going to be able to do the homeschooling and not everybody can afford the private school so public school is not going away right how do we enhance that? Like, um, I, I look at it from from the. I, I was listening to um, a couple of podcasts uh, that Jocko did related to um, the tragedy in Uvalde, and, and where he really focused was not so much on what all transpired, but the fact that in the ninety in the I believe in the 60s or 70s, and 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 I'm probably gonna screw this up just a little bit, but hopefully the, the big picture comes through. In the 60s and 70s, there was about a hundred and something beds or 300 and something beds. There's let me just say it like this: there was a significant amount of inpatient beds available for those that needed mental health. Mm. Fast forward to now, that amount that was available has been slashed by 95%. So you have you have eliminated 95% of the opportunity to help people because you saw you saw it as a bottom line issue and you needed to move the money elsewhere. And yeah. not to say that we would avoid all tragedies but how much could be lessened if certain people didn't have access to certain things. Okay. So then spin it over education. How much better would our kids be? Would just the United States in general be if we gave more to, if we gave more resources to the people utilizing it and allowed, and and not only that, but just got out of the way and let them do their job. I, I feel like, unfortunately, um, so many times we as coaches and we as educators are given directives, but it comes with so much red tape. Like, you know, if you wanted to go from a technological standpoint, you wanted more dasher systems and more, um, you know, jump mats, you might be, and I, I use you usually, not directly you, but, you know, so somebody listening, it may be in a, you know, financially great place where they can just go to a booster club and say, Hey, we need this. Other places may be like, I would love that. Our kids would thrive off of that. They would just, it would grow. We would be able to increase numbers, but we can't afford it. You know, so it's like, if just, if we, we, we got to that hundred percent, how much better things we could be like, why are you, why are we okay with being okay when we could, we could just put a little bit more and be, great like at least great you know and and i think that's 
that's the same deal. And I think all coaches would have that same argument with their kids, like seeing it this week in, in summer camp, like, and I get it. It's super hot. We're, we're without AC in our, in our field house. So we're limiting who, how many are in the weight room just to completely prevent it from uh, becoming just a sauna uh, and yeah. sweat everywhere. Um, you know, but some kids are going through the motions. It's like, you're here. Like, don't just, don't just give me that 70%. Like give me a hundred percent of where you're at right now. You know, and if that's one rep out of the five, but it's a really good rep, great. If you can't move that weight, then lower the weight and let's get the right number of reps or let's at least just work on your form. Like you're here, go get the most out of it. Don't just half-ass it. And I think that's, you know, if we could surmise so much of what we've talked about, it's like, don't half-ass it, man. Like go all in and just see how much better you can be how much better programs could be, how much better education could be like, you know, it it just, that, that would be my deal is don't just half-ass it. Yeah, no doubt. And I, uh, yeah, to your point, uh, there's a cool, a lot of things. Uh, one thing people don't really know about that, that Uvalde elementary schools back in the seventies, they staged the longest uh, public school walkout ever. It was six weeks long. And what they did was their, their elementary schools were actually still segregated. And so all of the Spanish speaking kids went to two elementary schools and all of the white kids went to the other ones, regardless of where they were supposed to go. And they had one bilingual teacher. So these actually these elementary school kids from the whole entire school district staged a walkout for six weeks. And it's the longest ever uh, like public school walkout in history as far as like changing that kind of social justice thing. So that's a cool little story you guys can look up if you get some free time and kind of want to check it out. But yeah, to your point, coach, I think like, I also think that's why it's so important that anyone in education can kind of learn a little bit of business and professional lingo and really speak eloquently to the best of their abilities. Cause like I said, with if I'm a strength coach to the head of the school board, I'm an insurance deduction, right? And then if you take that and magnify it to the Texas legislature, like here's education, it's a mess. We don't know how to fund it. But if all of us as educators can really speak intelligently and eloquently to the things that we need and why we need them and what, what we're going through, then that's only going to magnify our, our status in the eyes of politicians that can then change things for us. So I think that's really, uh, I don't, <laughs> this kind of became less of like a strength and conditioning podcast <laughs> and more of like a, of like represent ourselves as individuals to help fix education. But I think rising tide lifts all boats, right? Like as long as if education in general gets better, then athletics are gonna get better. And I think those two things a lot you can find some friction between academics and athletics, but when they this is something I really believe in. Uh like if the athletics and the academics go together and work harmoniously in your institution, it's only gonna better your institution. Like if you look at I think it was uh was it it was a couple of years ago, like University of Maryland, Baltimore County, like went to the Sweet 16 in basketball. Uh, they had a 500% increase in applications strictly based off of the exposure they got from going to the Sweet 16, which is crazy. Yeah. So if that can, and obviously that's like, that's, that's a national example, but it's the same thing. Like if you can, if your athletics department is excellent and you can combine that with academics, then it's only going to help. People are now going to want to move to your school district so they can also have a great experience for their kid and get a good 
product and a good education. So not to get us like completely off track, but <laughs> that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Dude, well, but here, here, here's the beauty. One of, you know, having my own podcast, I can direct the damn conversation wherever I want it to, you know, but to, to have you on and, and I feel like this is probably very mirroring of, of your Lake Belton presentation. Like at the end of the day, we all love strength and conditioning and there's, there's, there's a million ways to skin this cat. We can all, you know, talk about this program, that program emphasis on this movement, that movement, man, but it's all well and good. But if we don't have jobs and we don't have kids to coach, then we're irrelevant, you know? So I, I think it's just as important for you to talk about this stuff and get this out there, you know, and, and, and you know, let people hear it so that when they come to your place on July 16th, they can, they can pick your brain about this while hearing people like Monty Sparkman, Aislinn Garza, um, seeing people like Missy Mitch Macbeth, uh, you know, in the NHSSCA state clinic held at your place on Jan January, or excuse me, on July 16th. Yeah, definitely. That would be, we definitely want, I mean, it's obviously we scheduled it the day before coaching school starts so we can get as many people there as possible. So yeah, you guys would love for y'all to come down, check out the space. Obviously we've got some awesome speakers uh, we're going to have like a nice little catered lunch for you guys. You can check out the facility and obviously like, just like I did last year, you guys will all be in San Antonio to get your coaching school on. So we'll probably have that spot open so you guys can come lift weights if and when you get a chance. So yeah, definitely come to that. Registration is open. I think it's $50 for non NHSSCA members and 25 if you are a member. So it's freaking Joe Ken's going to be there. You get a catered lunch. It's definitely going to be worth your money for sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, man. So, well, Coach Rev, man, thank you so much for taking the time and, and just speaking to your passions and, um, you know, opening your doors to not just, uh, you know, women's college basketball, but also, uh, you know, just, just people in general, man. I sincerely love and appreciate the fact that, you know, coaches during a, a, a state clinic can – go and hang out and, and fellowship, uh, while lifting and, and learning. Uh, but then also the, the, what you're doing in the community and pouring in, uh, to a variety of people and, and young people, uh, man, it's awesome. So I said, keep it up. And, uh, if people don't already, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Where do they find you? What's the easiest? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so Twitter is kind of my like professional social media, it's just my name, Glenn Revel, G-L-E-N-N-R-E-V is in Victor, E-L-L, -L, all lowercase, all one word. Um, that's kind of the easiest spot to find me on the internet. Um, I actually had a, I had a podcast back in the day, not as prolific as yours, but uh, some of our, it was me and one of my good friends. And we kind of talked about coaching, education, leadership, and our podcast was for parents, teachers, coaches, and leaders. So if you consider yourself any one of those things, you can find our archived uh, episodes on YouTube. It's called the G cast. So G just like Glenn, uh, we got about a hundred episodes on there. So I, and so we've got some cool Mark Watts was on our podcast, like OG elite FTS guy. 
Um, we can, we've had some, some cool guests that kind of talk about all things, coaching, teaching, organizational theory. So if you ever get some free time and kind of want to dive into that, I would say feel free. And I guess like, if I could just leave whoever's listening to this podcast, like if I could just leave you with one thought, um, I would say if there's, uh, there's one thing coaches know how to do, it's drive people and people drive change. And I would, I would magnify your ability to do that to the full extent so you can really create and impact individuals and organizations.